1: For you at least, we're actually pre recording today's episode since I'll be out hiking Mount Kilimanjaro on the 10th. Uh, But joining me today to talk about a topic actually requested by a listener is Dan Klein.
0: I will be doing the opposite. Of hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, I don't know what that is, but it probably involves me, my couch, maybe Netflix, a video game. Like, like it, it is that is a very bold statement for you to be making.
1: Some some will say you are smarter for for that choice. I wonder if I'm gonna be actually taking advantage of the helicopter insurance I had to buy because I'm not nearly in good enough shape to make it to the top, but I will definitely try.
0: Will you be hiring a Sherpa or some other sort of uh, person to help you get there?
1: Yes, I'm going with an all female hiking group, actually. And you're required to go, um, if you hike Mount Kilimanjaro, you have to go with a country approved tour agency.
0: Oh, my. This seems very, very dangerous. Well, (laughs) on behalf of all the listeners, please be careful.
1: (laughs) If you don't hear from me again, then assume I'm stuck in Tanzania somewhere. (laughs)
0: Yes, if we air this episode and I come back up at the end giving a little speech about you, this will <laughs> this will not be great. Well, this
1: will be quite the note to go off on. <laughs> I'm not sure and if I, I want this to be my last episode of Industry Focus, but it <laughs> will definitely be an interesting one. And I like it because it's actually one that was requested by a listener. Um, I read this really nice review of Industry Focus on iTunes the other day, and I did want to give a shout-out to the writer. That's Dylan from Boston. Dylan said that one of his favorite episodes was actually from you, Dan, when you and Maury Beckman talked about five tips for buying a new home with Nick Seiple. And yeah, he followed it up with a suggestion that we do an episode about buying a car.
0: And that's a good lesson for our listeners. You know, a lot of you interact with us on Facebook. If you post something, even if it doesn't agree with us, as long as it's respectful, we're happy to jump in and have a conversation. We're doing a whole show because someone said, I'd like to hear a show on that. That is customer service.
1: Either that, or we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel—one of those two things.
0: And <laughs> it's an evergreen <laughs> topic, and you're going away, but we've done this a lot of times. Whether it's mm-hmm. uh, doing a mailbag show or something we talked about on Twitter, so really jump on, interact with us. Uh, I mean, Emily's new to Twitter, but she's one of its rising stars, oh, no. <laughs> uh, and and I'm online. All of our hosts are pretty much there, so you know, interact, ask, and
1: ye shall receive. It's always nice to hear from listeners, especially when you're doing podcasts like Industry Focus. It can feel like you're talking into the void. So, whatever means for you to have to reach out to us, whether that be via email, whether that be on Twitter, Facebook, leaving reviews, yeah, we'll definitely read them, we'll definitely get to them. So, uh, yeah, leave those reviews if you have them. But in in the meantime, Dan, let's talk about what Dylan really wanted to hear about, which was buying a car, which is a, a really good question. I think a lot of consumers go through that point in their life where they're having to maybe buy their first car and they have no idea what to do.
0: So, I've bought a lot of cars over the years. Um, when I was younger, it was always very inexpensive used cars or a, a car a friend of a friend was done with, that kind of thing. But now that I'm you know a little bit older, I'm, I'm 46, I, I've had a couple of different experiences. And About three years ago, my wife and I both bought a car uh, together in Pretty uh, about three months apart, and when her car was dying, uh, she'd she'd ridden my old Hyundai Elantra into the ground. We tried the traditional process, and many of you know the traditional process. You go to a dealer, and the dealer tries to find out from you, well, how much do you want to spend a month? Ugh. And there's the number one lesson: go in with how much you want to spend total, not how much you want to spend a month. We knew we wanted to spend no more than twelve thousand dollars on a car we went into the dealer, and it was a terrible experience. First of all, we had a trade-in, and the dealer did the thing where they take your keys so they can evaluate your trade-in. What they're really doing is taking your keys so you can't leave. And I'm not saying every dealer does this, but I've had this enough times. And Then, we told the person we would like to buy a used car, preferably one-year-old. We'll talk about this later, but that's a great way to save some money. And the person started talking to us, and we we told him our amount. We said, you know, $12,000. And he came back and said, Well, I think I can get you into a new one for close to that. And we weren't opposed to a new one. And he came back to me and he said, Well, we did all the numbers. How about 16.5? And I said, No, that's not that close. And this went on a few times with me getting progressively more angry and asking for my keys back uh, on more than one occasion, until finally, as we were leaving, after more or less threatening threatening them if they didn't hand our keys back, because we actually had to pick our son up, uh, they came back and they came pretty close to our price. And the problem is. In my opinion, this model sort of violated the rules of negotiation. If you start at 13 and I can get you down to 12.5, that's a fair negotiation. That that was you trying to get the best price. If you start at 16.5 and are willing to come down to like a little over 12, you were trying to take advantage of me, mm-hmm. and th- they could have given me the car, and I wouldn't have wanted to do business with them. So started out as a very bad experience. We then went to Carvana, a company we're going to talk about. You've seen the commercials. The, the commercials talk about the car vending machine, but the reality is, Carvana is a used car service that will deliver cars to you. I'm not sure if they operate in every market, but here in West Palm Beach, uh, we could see cars that were free to deliver because they were local, or maybe a car that was in Miami or Orlando and it had different maybe it was $75 or $150 to deliver. We put in what we wanted. Uh, she wanted a Nissan Sentra, she'd already test-driven one, one-year-old she had a couple of features she wanted, and we got to pick from four or five, we picked one, and 48 hours later, it was delivered. We ended up using Carvana for financing. We, we had an offer from uh, a credit union or our bank or someone else, but Carvana came up with a fair offer. It took about 10 minutes of, of signing papers, and we then had a week or 400 miles to drive it around, and if anything was wrong with it, I think there was like a trunk latch issue, they came and took it and fixed it, or if you just hate it, They will take it back and bring you another car. And we asked the person who delivered our car, and she said there are people that do that over and over until they find the right car. So I believe strongly in sort of disruptive models in the car buying process
1: well i'll tell you one thing if something needs to be disrupted it is the car buying process uh it's not only a bad experience from virtually everybody who doesn't have experience buying a car and goes into it blind a lot of times as you mentioned they get ripped off by dealerships so anyone who disrupts that process i happen to think is in a good business themselves and you got a couple really good tips in there the first one being you know be aware of the games that dealerships play if you do go to a dealership um, don't buy a news car you kind of alluded to that that a little bit, and about you know that leaving you open to lose money. And one of the things that I always say is that the first thing you should do if you're interested in buying a car, other than figuring out exactly the type of car that you're looking for, is to get financing lined up beforehand. Nothing's worse than going into a dealership or going to wherever you're buying a car and having them negotiate with you on the monthly price, and then you find out that you're being gouged in terms of your interest rates. While it's always better to pay cash for cars, they're depreciating assets. If you need to get a loan, go to your local bank, go to your local credit union. They're the ones who are going to probably give you the best rate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of those things where you can fall into a trap. So, if you go in and say, well, I don't want to spend more than $250 a month, you might leave there with more car than you need and a car loan that's six or seven years long. Uh, it used to be that five was the max, and now you're seeing six. I don't actually know if you're seeing seven, but you're absolutely oh, you seeing are. six. Oh, you okay. oh, yeah. So <laughs> You end up with something that you may a be sick of in four or five years, but might not work anymore if you're a heavy driver. That traditionally the max you should take a car loan is four years, and I would say four years on a car that's one year old, that's very reliable, and you want to work backwards from price, not backwards from payment. So if you're spending total on the car, and you say, okay, well, this is what it would cost me a month with a two-year financing. Well, I can't afford that. Well, what if I take it out to three years? Okay, that's a payment I can manage. Uh, That makes sense. But if you just look at the payment, well, at some point, you'll end up with like a 20-year car loan. And the danger of having a car loan that's long is it becomes tempting to, at some point, trade the car in, owe money on it, and take an even bigger car loan. And then you just have this sort of, endless cycle of debt where, ideally, you're going to take a two-year, three-year, at worst, a four-year loan, but you're going to drive that car for five, six, seven years, because cars are more reliable than they ever were. But that brings me to what I think is the Bible of the car buying process, is the Consumer Reports Used Car Buying Guide. Uh, buy this when it comes out, they sell out. Uh, that The new car guide is out right now. I'm not sure when the used car one comes out. You could sometimes find copies on eBay. And the value of this is, besides that the They've done extensive reviews. They will show you the maintenance history of that car, so you might look and see, "Hey, the Nissan Versa—that's what I drive—is very reliable." But ooh, the 2016 one has transmission problems. So maybe I don't want to buy the 2016 one, or maybe I do because it's such a great deal. But I want to get insurance that'll cover my <laughs> transmission if it falls off. Uh, so you want yeah, to be really careful. Yeah, that's a really care- good suggestion. <laughs> Yeah, you want to be really careful, and you also should know what the price is. And there are a few ways to do that on used cars. The first is to just triangulate. Look at different used car services, places like CarMax, other, uh, you know, TrueCar, any of your local dealers, and just see okay, roughly, I want a Volkswagen Jetta from 2016 with these features. And on the low end, it goes for 11000 On the high end, it goes for 14000 The difference is mileage, and maybe one has the sport package, one doesn't. This is an absolute do-your-homework. And it's totally okay to go to a used car lot and just test drive four or five cars to narrow down what you're comfortable in before you do your pricing research. Uh, this is an area we have to be comfortable saying, no, you're going to disappoint a lot of salespeople.
1: And that's totally fine, because when the tables are turned, I think those salespeople might start to disappoint you, too, when you get to the negotiation. So, that's the value of using a service like CarMax or Carvana, um, or even looking on a platform like TrueCar. is the idea that you might pay a slightly higher price than what you get if you actually go into a dealership and you Play negotiation hardball. But when push comes to shove, the vast majority of Americans, I would say, culturally, aren't comfortable negotiating. It's something that people aren't accustomed to having to do in their everyday life. And so they're actually exposing themselves to a lot more, uh, you know. Ability to be ripped off by by car dealerships than they would otherwise. I personally have never used one of these platforms, but when I purchased my last vehicle, I actually did a similar process. Went online, um, searched, try to figure out what vehicle I was comfortable in. When we found one. Um, Yeah, obviously, if you have the ability to pay cash, that makes the whole process easier. Uh, But looking for me, it was looking at trade-ins, looking at trade-ins on dealership lots. So you know, going to a Nissan dealership and finding a trade-in car that Nissan's real having a really hard time getting rid of, um, and then bringing those out for independent inspections is a really big part of the used car buying process. If you aren't able to get it certified pre-owned.
0: Yeah, and it's absolutely important to look at the whole picture. So, I've bought cars from dealers, and my favorite example of getting taken advantage of by a dealer is I bought a Saturn from, a I think it was a General Motors dealer, I don't know, maybe 24 hours before Saturn went out of business. <laughs> they They knew that was happening, and while technically they were obligated to provide parts for it the parent company not the the dealer mm-hmm. it became progressively harder to get parts for my car when things went wrong so i bought something that was even more of a depreciating asset than usual but car dealers are not inherently bad they don't all use this model so what you want to do is ask around in your community because if you find a car dealer that you know is maybe they don't play the negotiation game or maybe they're a tiny bit higher but you're getting free oil changes or loaner cars when they're servicing. Like You want to look at the total picture. And if there's a dealer that has a great reputation, that's worked with your family and your friends and your neighbors, you might have a good experience there. The same is true of, of independent used car lots. In general, a used car lot is a risky way to buy a car. I bought a 2000, I think, 16 BMW a few years ago, thinking I wanted to drive a fancy car. Uh, and there were a lot of hidden things wrong with it that taking it to an external uh, inspection didn't turn up. They mm-hmm. had redone a lot of the wiring in ways that weren't factory correct. So <laughs> I had problems six months down the road that were really, really significant that weren't caught. But I didn't know anything about this dealer. I didn't ask anybody. I just knew I wanted a certain car, and they had it at the right price. Do your homework on who you're buying from, and shop places that have a good that have a good reputation.
1: You've clearly been around the block with car purchases. I love it. I mean, I feel like you've purchased a car in every way known to man. It seems like your favorite experience thus far has been Carvana, and let's you know. I guess close the gap in why I'm I'm getting away with talking about this subject today and that's a lot of these publicly traded companies that are improving the car buying experience. Carvana being one of them, CarMax obviously being another one and the platform TrueCar. So Carvana as you alluded to is improving the process by you know, moving the entire process virtually online and, and making it accessible to you, CarMax actually takes a different model. They're they're also used in new car sales uh, from a what they call a, a dealership with integrity, but they have physical locations, way more physical locations than Carvana.
0: Yeah, which in in my opinion explains why their prices are higher. And mm-hmm. again, I have not done a scientific nationwide study. I bought two cars <laughs> three years ago. And I found while CarMax was, they gave you the price, there were no games, those prices were a little bit higher. Now, that might be worth it for someone who really wants their hands on the car before they buy it. They don't want to deal with Carvana delivers it, and then you drive it for a few days and decide you don't like it. My wife and I are not overly picky. We're not car people. After my debacle with the BMW, I decided I want some, wanted something small, easy to drive, didn't require a lot of maintenance, didn't take a lot of gas. Uh, I test drove a few things and, and landed on the car. She has a Sentra, I have a Versa, both almost exactly the same car, because we wanted to feel comfortably comfortable interchangeably driving each other's cars. That worked with Carvana for us, because we found that they had the lowest price, they handled all the paperwork, they brought it to us. Um, But, there are lots of other ways, and CarMax, if you're someone who's not comfortable with that virtual world, you might pay a little bit more, but you're not going to have to go through the whole, like, well, what's the real price?
1: What I think is really interesting is that, as a consumer, when I look at Carvana versus CarMax, I feel like I would, and granted, this is coming from somebody who has never used either of those sites, but I feel like I would lean towards Carvana because it's an entirely online process. If they have prices that are lower and they're willing to deliver it to me, then that to me is an improved customer experience. That being said, when you look at the financials of these companies, so if you take the investor viewpoint, Carvana has been burning through money for years, versus CarMax, which, well, not consistently, but has been profitable. So, it's really interesting to me that the company that's taken and more of a physical location model that's kept their prices a little bit higher, has really returned more for investors in terms of profitability than Carvana.
0: Well physical locations cost money but they're also advertising mm-hmm. uh, you know you, you can drive by a Carmax in most cases you're not driving by a carvana and Carmax locations are huge they're hard to avoid. The problem with Carvana is it's largely an online marketing play for a product that has very limited markup so you know they're, they're selling me a used car at a very very low profit and in theory they make money on financing but their business model is predicated on them not being pushy about the financing. You could take it, you don't have to take it. There are other add-ons you could get, you know, warranties and other things and they they make money on all of those, but they've also made it easy to refuse those or choose to get them elsewhere. So, as a business, I don't know that I'd invest. As a consumer, I think it's a lovely experience and something I would do. Ultimately, their business model is based on that someday everyone will know who Carvana is and they don't have to spend as much money telling you who they are.
1: Exactly. And you alluded to this, but these companies do make a a decent chunk of money, not a majority, but a decent chunk of money from setting up financing for their consumers. And part of that value proposition is not being overly pushy with the financing the way that a lot of car dealerships are, because that's where they make a lion's share of their money. But it is to say that they're feeding into what many people have called a car loan bubble. Now, not that Carvana and CarMax themselves are the major pushers for this, but we're seeing car loans, as you said earlier, extending out to around seven years in some cases. With those car loans, with those types of length and those interest rates, most consumers will be underwater, guaranteed to be underwater on their vehicle purchases with terms that long. And people have said that we're almost seeing financial crisis level uh, issues here with the way that people are overextending themselves in a low interest rate environment with credit on cars. I was interested in how you felt at all about this potential, I guess, car loan bubble, if you will. Yeah.
0: So it's a problem. And there's a fundamental reason for it. So, I'm married. I'm a 46-year-old guy. I have a 15-year-old. I view my car as a method of transportation, and reliability and how easy it is to use is by far the most important thing. I think a lot of people see their car as a fashion statement. So, if you're spending the money for a luxury brand, or something that people think is cool, or maybe it's a technology that that makes you seem environmentally friendly, but you're paying $20,000 more for it than for my very environmentally friendly compact car, you're driving up your price. And I go back to the advice of, Buy the least amount of car that meets your needs. So don't buy a smart car if you have two kids because it only has front seats and there's only two of them. <laughs> but I have one 15-year-old, so I bought a hatchback. My wife can sit next to me. My son can sit in the back. If we have to to move things to go on a trip, I can put down half the back seat. Or if I'm moving stuff on my own, I can put the whole back seat. I got a newer car because I'm gonna drive it for you know hopefully seven eight years. Maybe at some point my son will take it from me. Uh, but it was the least amount of car that made sense for us. I also I don't commute to work. I tend to do you know, a 200-mile trip once a month, but then not much driving otherwise. So, really figure out, you know, do I need this 18-seat giant vehicle that eats gas? Do I need a sports car? Do I need a pickup truck? If you don't need those things, don't buy those things. You know, this is a place to get rid of vanity don't care what other people think of your car if if you're a family that has two cars like my wife and I are we had the bad luck that both of our cars sort of wore out uh You know, at exactly the same time. Normally, we've always had one newer car that she would use to commute to work and an older car because I'm just driving around town. And in the average day, I might not leave the house or may just go like a mile to pick my son up at the bus stop. So I don't need a fancy car. Probably one of our two cars will way outlive the other because we use my car just way less. Uh, Family trips tend to be in her car. So at some point, maybe my car becomes her car, her car becomes my son's car, or we sell it used, and just be really sensible about it. And anytime you can be driving a reliable car with no payment, put that money in the bank, invest that money. That is a bonus to yourself that's way better than being able to say, hey, I drive a Mercedes.
1: That's probably the best place to leave off this podcast. And the single bottom line advice for uh, consumers and investors, don't overextend yourself and only buy. What you can afford and what you need that suit your needs. Um, You know, helps the environment too. One less Hummer on the road.
0: Thanks for having me, Emily. I hope uh, I hope the climb goes well.
1: <laughs> Thanks. I do appreciate it. and I'll, I'll take that luck. Uh, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass today. For Dan Klein, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on.